Welcome back to another episode of Can You Dig It, a podcast by SilverScreenEnroll.com. I am Christian Rebus, joined by Jacob Rood, but also by the dogs like that live near <laughs> me now. I just, I can't, obviously there's nothing I can do about them barking. And uh, the room I record in has a very big glass window. So it's not ideal. I'm going to look for new places to record in the house. Uh, if this problem persists. But in the meantime, how are you, Jacob? I think the better, I'm doing good, but the better question is how was the weekend in Vegas? Did you come back a, a millionaire? Are you a high roller now? How how was that? So I don't usually gamble when I'm in Vegas uh, because I consider myself a smart and sensible man. But we all have our, you know, our flubs, our mistakes, our moments of weakness. And I put exactly $100 aside to gamble. And if I do gamble in Vegas again, I think that's going to be my, like, MO. Only $100. Anything more or less is just asking for trouble. Uh, I had very, or not very high highs. There was, like, a few moments I was 40 50 bucks up. And then, you know, there were the moments after that. And let's just say I, I ended in the negative. Uh, but... I convinced myself that I was going to win big playing one of the slot machines. There was, there was a slot machine that had like a prize of $11 million if you won. Oh my. And I kid you not, me and my girlfriend were walking the strip and I was telling her the people I would help with my $11 million. Like I, it was already a guarantee for me and I was, I was splitting up how I was going to spend it. Uh, unfortunately, you did not make the cut, Jacob. You are already living large <laughs> in Indiana. It's not like life can get much better for you. Uh, but there would have been a few people in my life that would have had a few hundred thousand dollars shown their way for sure. Uh, the Based on the opening in which you said you are too close to dogs with a not thick window, I don't think that you won either, bud. <laughs> that is correct. Uh, the... I'll tell a short story here since uh, everybody loves to laugh at Anthony. One of the last times I was uh, in Vegas, I was with Anthony. We were at a casino. Might have had a little too much to drink. And they have the little... Not uh, Anthony. Yeah, I know. <laughs> shocker. But to be fair, I was with him on the... Or I was like also on his level on this one. They have the little video uh, screen, the touchscreen betting. And... Anthony had spent the whole week bragging about every time he sat down, he made money and he had not lost money at at all. Anytime he sat down and that he was just bragging and bragging and we had sat down. I won't, I I won't uh, spill how much we had put into the machine, but uh, we're sitting there. We're having a good time. We're drinking another friend, Gary Kester. Some of you might know was with us having a good time. And on those machines, you can bet one to $5. And I'm, I just enjoyed doing it, so I, I always bet $1. Anthony apparently did not. Uh, he was a higher roller, and so he had bet $5 on one, 
and had forgot he bet $5 and then just kept betting $5 and kept betting $5 and was on and was losing and the whole time thought he was betting a dollar. And eventually he, there's just a moment where he goes, where did all my money go? And Gary and I let him have it because he had spent that whole week bragging about <laughs> every time I sat down, I made money. And then he got so drunk. He didn't even realize how much he was betting and lost, lost some money on that one. So uh, you guys can laugh at Anthony for that one. I'm definitely a $1 better in, uh, yeah. in Las Vegas. I played some roulette, played some blackjack again. There were some highs. I felt good. I should have <laughs> walked away, uh, but I did not. My my Anthony Vegas story is we are in Vegas, and there are no shortage of food options in Vegas, like good food options that they don't have anywhere else in the world. And it was me, Harrison, and Anthony trying to figure out where we want to go for lunch. And I think it was one of our first times having lunch all together. And Anthony goes, why don't we go to Applebee's? In Vegas. He's fancy like it. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I, then don't get me wrong. I love Applebee's as much as the next guy. The appetizers are top tier. The drinks are real cheap, but we're in Vegas, man. <laughs> that is, and that that's my uh, Anthony story. So not a bad weekend. Um, this weekend to transition to what we're actually supposed to be talking about. Listen, there's not a ton of Lakers news guys. So we're, <laughs> we're filling this with as much as we can. Like I'm sure most of, you know, you, any of you who have paid even a little bit of attention, uh, the Lakers are on a really long break right now. So there is not a ton going on. <laughs> well, I will say this weekend seemed like it was going to go better than last weekend for me. Uh, if for no other reason than Frank Vogel finally, made a change to the starting lineup, which was inspired by, I want to say, a performance that Dwight Howard put up in the game before. thought he was pretty incredible. And uh, I think hopes were high going into the Lakers game against the Clippers on Friday. As you could imagine, um, the two big lineups still weren't the solution. And I wrote about this before leading leading into Friday's game. Like, if Frank did want to make the two big lineups work, if he insisted on making it a thing, I think Dwight Howard is your answer for now until you can maybe find an upgrade at the trade deadline or in the post-trade deadline buyout market. We'll see what that looks like. I have no idea what that looks like. Somebody asked me uh, over the weekend what I think the Lakers options are in the buyout market. And I said, I, I honestly couldn't tell you. I don't know why. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't even, are. yeah, I haven't even looked at what the buyout market could hold. This season's been so, I don't even know, exhausting as is that I haven't even looked at the pot <laughs> potential of adding more people to this. But the, uh, my general feeling is it might work the same way it worked with JaVale uh, and Dwight that first season that Frank was the coach, but it didn't. And um, the Lakers lost in large part due to those two big lineups. The other thing that confused me, and I hope it's corrected in the Lakers next game, which Jacob mentioned is not until Tuesday. The Lakers have not played since Friday and they won't play again until Tuesday against the Celtics. That should be a fun one. Um, so uh, what I'm saying is I, I uh, against the Celtics, I'm really hoping 
that somebody else but Taylor Horton Tucker is starting at the two. It's I like Taylor. I wrote an article saying he should start. At the time, I felt like he had, and it was those first three games back when um, he looked really good when he first got back. And then a lot of that, for Taylor to start, you need him to be able to shoot. And through those first three games, he had shot well. Um, it turned out that was just kind of a an aberration. Um, he struggled. The Lakers have a lot of... It's an odd conundrum they're in right now because they have a lot of combo guards. All of them are flawed in some way. Um, Taylor's the best defender. Wayne Ellington's the best shooter. Malik Monk's the best scorer. Um, Austin Reeves is kind of the jack of all trades. But uh, you can go through each one of those guys and name like their biggest flaw. Like Taylor can't shoot. Wayne Ellington and Malik can't really defend. Uh, Austin Reeves is a great glue guy, but you typically don't start great glue guys like that. So mm. it's hard to it's hard to pick one right now. I think they're going to kind of continue going through a spinning wheel of these guys until something sticks. I wouldn't be surprised if Wayne Ellington starts soon. Uh, he's he shot well. I still uh, maintain that his defense is really bad, but. Um, I think the team plays a little differently when he's out there defensively because you honestly, you don't expect much from him um, on that end. So what he brings offensively, at least of late, he's been playing so well, it makes up for it. I also wouldn't be surprised if Malik uh, makes a cameo in the starting lineup. I wrote about him today. Um, he has played really, really well the last about five games. He's actually over the last five games, uh, Nobody has a higher net rating with him on the court, and the Lakers are never worse than when he's off the court, basically. So uh, he is, um, he's really been really valuable to this team. But yeah, that's kind of been a revolving door uh, in that starting shooting guard spot that there isn't really a clear answer to right now. It's interesting because when you look at the starting lineup, you're assuming that Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis are the tent poles in in that lineup, which is a safe assumption. I don't think that any of those guys are going to be coming <laughs> off of the bench at any point in the season. Um, and right now, for the time being, Dwight Howard seems like another one of those tent poles because Frank wants to start a center, and and Dwight Howard is the best center on the roster right now. So that leaves one spot to improve this starting lineup that as is, is not very good. And I think the general consensus has been that the Lakers need more defense to play the style that Frank Vogel wants to play. And I get that logic. It's just with, with Russ in the, in the backcourt. And I think he's been all right on defense. I think, I think he's actually been, um, you know, one of the better guards uh, in that regard uh, this season. Take that for what you will uh, with with the way the roster is constructed. More of an indictment than anything <laughs> else, but yeah. But uh, when you look at the lineup data, even with DeAndre Jordan, they were really good defensively. Um, and the, the, the problem wasn't the defense. It was <laughs> with, with DeAndre Jordan on the court. 
they played like, uh, and this isn't hyperbole, the worst offensive team in the league. So if you're trying to make that lineup valuable and lineups with, with two bigs valuable, I think the answer is more offense uh, and, and, you know, just, just points wherever you can get them. And if you look on the roster, I think the obvious answer to that problem is Malik Monk. Cause mm-hmm. if nothing else, Malik Monk is a walking bucket when he's hot, when he's not, it's very easy to replace him with somebody else on the bench. Fortunately for the Lakers, they have no shortage of guards that they can throw in there. Uh, but for now, the way he's looked in the last few games, yeah, I think you give Malik Monk a, a look in the starting lineup. He, we've seen good Malik and bad Malik this year. Um, he was really good, I thought, to start the year, probably highlighted by that shot against the Spurs, and then he struggled quite a bit. Um, I I don't know how many games. It felt like a while. Uh, it, he even played, I think, like five minutes in – one of their losses at one point. And then uh, of late, he came back. And really since that Kings, uh, how many overtimes was it? Three overtime game. Uh, he's played well since then. So he's one of those guys, like he's hot right now, ride the hot hand. He did this in Charlotte last year. He got hot. Um, he was coming off the bench. He stepped into the starting lineup at times. Um he, when it comes to him playing next to these guys, he has a, th- a shooting ability that is really valuable. But this is something Pete and Darius and Mike talked about. They did an episode on Malik of their podcast last week. Russ and Malik playing together play at like an insanely fast tempo. Mm-hmm. Like it would shatter records. Like obviously it's not sustainable. It's just two guys. But that helps Malik's really good in transition, whether it's getting to the bucket, whether it's flaring out for a three. Uh, he just does a lot of things on offense that complements his team. There's a lot of times where you need, if there's a LeBron AD or Russ AD uh, pick and roll and you kick it out to the uh, weak side wing, you need a guy that can either be a scorer or be able to attack a closeout. That's Malik's game. Like he can absolutely do that. Um, they're really right now isn't a downside to him offensively. He's prone to some questionable turnovers every so often. Uh, there's been a couple times he's just kind of floated some passes across the lane or across the court that have been stolen. Those are frustrating, but right now, the way he's playing, there's not a ton of downside to starting him other than, I mean, obviously defensively, I would say he's improving and he's never been, He's never been and never going to be a, a great or even probably good defender. He's just so small as a two guard. Uh, I should say a great or good individual defender. I think he's a decent team defender. And he was that largely in Charlotte. He he knows where he's supposed to be. He knows a lot of the rotations he's supposed to make. Um, a lot of the issues are, I won't say a lot. Some of the issues are physical limitations. So, uh, but when he's playing like this, like, yeah, I would say he's the best option to start right now. Now, I guess the question is, does he have more value to this team as like a, a microwave score off the bench? 
Um, I would say probably not because Melo can do that. But um, that would be the one kind of question I would have is uh, he's able to immediately come in and give you a scoring punch. But I think if you're moving THT to the bench in this scenario, if you already have Melo there, then you probably have that covered anyway. That is absolutely correct. Um, I think in order for Talon to be valuable, he has to have the ball in his hands a little bit. And if you are bringing him off the bench, which I think is the move, because obviously with uh, Russ LeBron and AD, you're not going to have the ball in your hands a ton. I understand the Lakers have a ton of confidence in him becoming a, you know, a good perimeter defender uh, sometime in the near future, a really good perimeter defender. I think he's decent right now. Uh, but right now his defense isn't so good that you need to have him in the starting lineup. Uh, and it certainly doesn't negate what he's leaving on the floor in terms of points. The, the thing that stands out to me the most about Malik Monk, and you've talked about it a little bit, is his defense hasn't been great, but the Lakers have been a better defensive team with him on the floor, which is more than you could have asked for, or at least I could have asked for. I'll speak for myself. M my vision of Malik Monk with this team particularly in terms of the starters is if Malik Monk is so good on offense that his defense does not matter. That's a win right now. You have Malik Monk, a, a positive on offense. Lakers are six point four points per 100 possessions, better on offense with him on the floor per cleaning Lou glass. Uh, and they're, and they are, let me see, uh, 2.2 points better on defense per 100 possessions with him on the floor. He is one of two players on the Lakers with positive point differentials on both offense and defense. Uh, do you want to guess the other one? Austin Reeves would be my guess, but that I is know. correct. It is Austin yeah. Reeves. <laughs> His advanced numbers are, uh, dare I make the comparison Caruso esque. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't know if uh, you and Sabrina continued the streak last week, but if you guys did, if you guys brought up Crusoe last week, um, uh, I think we've mentioned Crusoe at least once every podcast since he left the team. And honestly, probably while he was on the team. I can't specifically remember if we did it on the podcast, but we definitely talked about the Bulls either before it or during, during it. Uh, so that counts. We were in a Zoom <laughs> on a Sunday evening talking about Alex Caruso. That is what matters. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you know, if that continues to be the case, then yeah, you you put Malik Monk in that starting lineup. And not, not only do I think the Lakers bench can survive with Taylor Horton Tucker there, presumably you're getting Kendrick Nunn back at some point in the season. And he's a guy you brought on to be that sixth man. And for, for all of those reasons, I think it makes a ton of sense to start Malik. Um, but the overwhelming reason is he can shoot the ball, <laughs> uh, which is also a case for Wayne Ellington. A after looking like he was going to be a regular DNP CD guy, which he may very well be when Kendrick Nunn gets back and, and you know shows his value as a shooter, that could still be the case. But for right now, he is one of the more reliable shooters on the team. And again, somebody who his defense leaves a lot to be desired. Um, 
but it's not i don't know the numbers are not kind to him the lakers are a whole 8.4 points per 100 possessions better uh with with him on the bench which is very bad it's the worst on the team in fact uh second to only lebron james we can get to that in a bit i guess but um i i actually that actually ties in really well with what i want to talk about when we get back from the break so we'll take a quick break there and then uh we'll talk more lakers line uh so as we mentioned before we headed into the break wayne ellington and lebron james are in the bottom two when it comes to defensive point differential on the team that is again per cleaning the glass um I think those two things are related and I don't imagine they will get much better. If this LeBron James at center experiment continues, I don't think that's a fault of LeBron James, not being able to play defense at center. Although it certainly seems like it against the Clippers. Um, I don't remember the exact quote after uh, the Clippers game, but he did not give himself the, the best grade on defense. He was, he was uh fair, I think. The um, so I I watched back what again what game was it that he they did this they committed to this it seemed everything in the Lakers land seems like it's like years at a time uh, whatever game that they committed to this and uh, they only went to one center um, it was last week at some point I watched back those clips right before LeBron went into protocols and uh, so when they played. Again, it was a Pistons game. It uh, because when they played in the first half defensively, it's like they weren't entirely sure um, how to play with LeBron at center. They were funneling things towards LeBron mm-hmm. as you would do if DeAndre, Dwight, AD were there. Um, there were a couple moments where they were kind of funneling things in and just generally not switching, which is what you would ex- expect that defense to excel at. Um, when they went back to it in the third quarter in the second half, everything was switching. And there was definitely somebody had talked to the guys and said, listen, just switch it all. And they were significantly better. I haven't gone back and watched everything in that Clippers game. I would say the other thing is the Clippers are a little bit better than the Pistons are. (laughs) Um, So uh, they may be, may have been able to punish them a little bit more, but um, yeah, those LeBron at center lineups, they're never going to be like great defensively, maybe not even good defensively. It's just what they unlock for you on offense. It gives them the most value. And that was the case in that Pistons game because LeBron multiple possessions was a ball screener, which he not, just does not do. Um, and there were times where they had guys kind of cutting off of him. Um, you have shooters all over the place. It was mellow. Uh, I believe Ellington was out there. Monk was out there at one point. Um, You just have guys all around the court to open things up. Russ was out there a lot, and he's able to get to the rim so easily when there's just one guy there. Like, for all the kind of faults in his game and how much his game is um, aged or whatnot, like, he's still really good at getting by his defender, and he can beat guys off the dribble. Um but yeah, it's a work in progress. I still ultimately think it'd be a positive. It may take a guy like Trevor Ariza coming back, a little more defensive acumen, 
um, and uh, maybe THT getting out of his funk a bit or some, there, there's some other things that could happen. Kendrick Nunn, I think would be a really good fit. If we ever see him, he's in Instagram comments calling out Isaiah Hartenstein, <laughs> but uh, he hasn't really been on the court much, if at all. So there's some guys I think that could make it work. Austin Reeves, whenever he gets fully back, would make a lot of sense in those lineups. But yeah, uh, Wayne Ellington's never going to have a positive defensive uh, rating of any kind or point differential, any of that. LeBron probably could and should get there, but it'll be interesting to see uh, how him, how these LeBron at center lineups kind of impact that and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I'm, I think a lot of it boils down to the Clippers are still a really good team. They've been playing really well this year and uh, they're not the Pistons. And that was about the, the two sample sizes we have. Yeah. So the, LeBron at center lineup, or at least the most used lineup, uh, posted an offensive rating of 200 against the Clippers <laughs> in three minutes, um, which I'd, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see uh, the 48-minute game in which the Lakers scored 200 <laughs> points with that lineup on the floor. The defensive rating, I, I, I want to preface this by saying they still had a positive net rating. That's the good thing. The oh, defensive God. rating <laughs> was 180. Which again, I would like to see that game. I don't know what the other lineup uh, lineups looked like during those uh, during that time, but man, what a what a game that would be! That lineup for those curious was Russell Westbrook, Wayne Ellington, Malik Monk, Carmelo Anthony, and LeBron James. Right off the bat, that is a lineup that screams get as much get as many points as you can uh, in a short amount of time, and the Lakers did. I think going forward to your point about Trevor Ariza, I think finding a balance, a happy balance with those LeBron at center lineups is going to be the key to unlocking this team. And most importantly, the key to keeping traditional centers away from the court. I think you can live with Frank starting Dwight, uh, I don't want to say you can live with Frank starting DJ because I don't know if you can, but no, you can't. If you're going to play a center, the, the thing you have to stress the importance of is playing non-traditional centers at every other time in the game, whether it's Anthony Davis, LeBron James, um, you know, somebody else. I, I think that's it. Honestly, those are the only two options the Lakers have outside of Dwight Howard uh, and DeAndre Jordan when it comes to center. Maybe that won't be the case after the trade deadline or, you know, even before the playoffs start, but for right now it is. And whether that leads to them adding a center that they can play, or it just means that, you know, they put an emphasis on adding a more versatile wing that can play that three, four spot. Um, listen, Harrison Barnes is, is no, spring chicken on the defensive end, but I've watched so many Kings games where I've just dreamt of having a LeBron at center lineup with Harrison Barnes at the three or four. I think he'd be awesome, but that's a, that's a pipe dream at this point, but you get what I'm saying. Like there are ways you can see these types of lineups working with LeBron at center. Uh, I think there was a lineup that included most of the same supporting cast, but with Taylor Horton Tucker and Wayne Ellington's spot that 
performed a lot better on paper. Uh, not surprising. But um, there definitely needs to be some wrinkles ironed out. And I think as long as it's being tried, there, there are things that Frank Vogel's trying. Um, and there are some bright spots. I think it's hard to pin any of the lack of success of these lineups or the lack of success from the team as a whole solely on him. But if five games from now, we're still talking about the same problems with these lineups and the same problems with the starting lineup, whether it's, you know, Talon or, you know, maybe Dwight doesn't look as good as he did against the Kings, uh, you know, against some of the better teams in the NBA, then yeah, I think you start to look at Frank and say like, Something, something's got to give. Something needs to change. The uh, so I was looking up the the kind of core of that LeBron at center lineup has been uh, LeBron, Russ, Malik, and uh, Mello. Still, they've only played eighteen minutes together with no center on the floor. It's a plus twenty seven point eight net rating and a one fifty offensive rating. Um, which is going to be kind of what you expect. Um, I'm honestly not even sure if there's many minutes they've played. I was going to take Malik out of that because I know they've kind of swapped those perimeter players around a bit um, just to see if there had been many minutes they played without him in it. Um, yeah, there's 27 minutes total with LeBron, Russ, and Melo, no, bit, no center on the floor, and they're plus 17.2. Um, so... You can see the reason it would have success. They're 136.8 offensive rating and a 119 defensive rating. So that's what that's what those lineups are going to be. Just like absurd offensive rating and an equally absurd, but not quite as much defensive rating. Um it yeah, I ultimately even after that Clippers game, um I think the Lakers are starting to figure some things out. Uh, which finally, a lot of that, I, I'd seen various kind of out-of-context stats about where the Lakers are right now, their record, all that. Um, LeBron, AD, and Russ just haven't had chance, a chance to play together, and I think that has ultimately been the biggest problem. Um, LeBron has only played half the games. The three of them have only played 215 minutes together. And there's been over, I think, 5,000 minutes played for the Lakers this year. Um, so ultimately, I can tell you exactly how minutes, have, how many minutes have been played. Or excuse me, 1,000. I don't know why I said 5,000. 1,152 minutes. Those three have played 215 of them. Um, so it, I know it, it's frustrating that it's taken this long. It was always going to take long anyway, uh, but the injuries and suspension and health and safety protocols to LeBron um, have really limited how much those three can play together. Ultimately, I think that they are, I don't want to say turn a corner, but um, it was trending upward, uh, maybe a slight step back. I think we let off with the two steps forward, one step back for the Lakers, which uh, considering how things have looked at times this year, I will happily take that because it's a net step forward. But, um, and you pair all that with, uh, we've mentioned Ariza. It sounds like he's going to be back 
soon. I don't know this week, but uh, maybe next week. I think this week was when he's supposed to be reevaluated. So I'd be surprised if he's back that quickly, that soon. Um, but I would say he's going to be back within the next week or so. I think he's going to unlock a lot of things. Uh, all the issues remain that you're pinning a lot of hopes on a aging three and D guy. Um, but I think if he's healthy, he's going to unlock a lot of things for this team and I could see them taking another big step forward, but, um, yeah, that Kings game, that second half, um, seemed like a lot of things were starting to be figured out. It took them 23 and a half games to realize DeAndre Jordan should be benched, but that's a net positive. Um, and it, I guess 22 and a half and, um, it doesn't sound like they're going to play him anytime soon at this point. Who would you put your money on as the guy who inevitably will be cut um, on or before whenever the, the deadline is of, I guess, Avery Bradley's contract. Do you think it's going to be Avery Bradley or do you think it's going to be Deandre Jordan so that they can sign a buyout guy? I'll have a story up on this tomorrow. Shameless plug. Um, but I think it's DeAndre. Well, hold on. <laughs> I think it the is Avery Bradley. No, no, listen, Jordan. Listen. <laughs> I think Avery Bradley will be cut. I do not think De- DeAndre Jordan will be on the roster by the end of the season. And I say this mm. because Avery Bradley's contract guaranteed date is January 7th. Yeah. Or January, yeah, yeah, January seventh, December seventh, January, January sounds right. Yeah, yeah, it's January. Um, the Lakers, if they wanted to use his salary in a trade, would have to do it no later than sixty days before the trade deadline. And if I'm not mistaken, that it's soon lineup that yeah that date is soon or it already passed um so there's not a lot you can do with avery bradley if you don't waive him like if you don't want him on your roster there's a very simple solution to that just waive him his salary is not guaranteed deandre jordan is in the opposite camp but i actually think it's a little easier to get off of his contract um i don't anticipate any team is clamoring for DeAndre Jordan. I don't know if the Lakers will get anything in return for him, at least not alone. Uh, but he is somebody you can trade starting uh, next week, December 14th. So for that reason, I think Avery will be the first one gone. Who are they going to replace him with? I have no idea. Again, not just the buyout market, but the free the pool of free agents in general isn't particularly fruitful right now. Darren Collison was at the Lakers game the other day, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> that, man, that man will not go away. <laughs> you had your chance. We wanted you. We all begged for you, and you left us high and dry. We've moved on, bud. You need to do the same. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's Darren Collison's been a name brought up for a few years now um james ennis is a popular name on lakers twitter but both of those guys had an audition had an audition 
uh, for the Lakers. Didn't get the part. I don't know if yeah. things that have happened since the the way the roster is constructed may, you know, shift their opinion on somebody like Ennis. But I mean, James Ennis is still a free agent, and there are a lot of bad teams in the NBA. Um, I think if he were meant to be on a roster by now, he'd be on a roster. Um, so that's all I'll say on that. Beyond those two, man, I had a I I almost don't want to speak this into the universe, but I'll do it anyway. Oh, no. oh I had no. a, I had a dream last night. Oh no! That the Lakers brought back Lance Stevenson from oh, what the, the hell G are you League doing? Because of his relationship with Frank Vogel, and the thing that infuriated me the most in my dream, again, this is all a dream, and I'm mad at this. I looked at uh, a report from uh, a reporter, an ESPN reporter, that said uh, the Lakers brought Lance Stevenson in because of his relationship with Frank Vogel and his reputation on the defensive end. Anybody that watched <laughs> the Lance Stevenson with the Lakers or at any point after the fact knows that's that's not the case with Lance Stevenson. So. Uh, that is one of the those dreams I don't want to come true. What's um, it called? A nightmare. Yeah, though. one would even call it a nightmare. Uh, but the, I mean, to my point though, those are the types of free agents you're looking at at this time of year. I I just don't know if it's going to get better after the trade deadline. So, Avery, not having Avery Bradley on the roster would be, I guess, a positive just for the sake of Frank not having the option to play him. And the same can be said about DJ. <laughs> um, but in terms of ready-made replacements, guys that are going to contribute right away and step into that spot. Um, that, I mean, the only thing that's going to correct that in the immediate future is guys getting healthy, namely Kendrick Nunn and Trevor Ariza. The other thing I was just kind of scouring a couple different teams Trading Avery Bradley, I guess, so the date is a week from Sunday, December 12th. You said that 60 days before the deadline for another mm-hmm. team to waive him. Yeah, it's it's December 12th. Um, so you're not going to be able to pair him with any free agent that was signed because that date is a couple days later. So trading Avery Bradley on a $2.6 million contract for somebody that is going to be a contributor is really hard to do. Cause you got to find a team that is bad. Any team that trades for Avery Bradley is just going to cut them. They don't want to pay as much luxury tax. So you got to find a team that's bad. That's paying a lot of money for their team. And this would be a way to save money, but the player also has to be like a decent player. Uh, and that is a lot of hoops to jump through to try to find somebody that could actually contribute to the team. So uh, I would be surprised because also um, if they're willing to just trade this player away for Avery Bradley and dump him, unless they're attaching like a second, the Lakers are attaching like a second round pick. Um, there's just not really an asset there. So um, I'm not really sure who you can even Target, I've tried to look at some of the really bad teams, your Magic, 
the Spurs, the Pelicans, the Rockets, teams like that, see if there's anybody there, and I don't think there is. So I'd be surprised if they traded him. Uh, it's it's nice to think about, but uh, I it, it's just hard to to find a partner where all of the the things line up. So um, we'll see. Uh, if I had to guess between the two, honestly, right now, I would say DeAndre Jordan is the more likely one to be cut, waived, whatever, especially if Ariza is able to get back healthy, play a string of games where he looks fine. And uh, this LeBron at center thing doesn't just blow up in their face because then you have Dwight, you have um, AD, you have LeBron, Ariza is a bigger guy, uh, Melo. Like those are enough bodies there to play in against bigger players that it would work. So also I all that I say all that. I mean, Frank just loves Avery Bradley, so I doubt he's he's going to put up a fight to to keep him around and whatnot. And uh, so I would say DeAndre is more likely to go. Um, it'll be interesting to see if anybody wants to trade for DeAndre. Um, I mean, ideally, you'd be able to pair the two of them together and get a halfway decent player, but that timeline I don't think is going to add up. Yeah. Um, I don't also know, like, DeAndre Jordan was available to be traded for in the offseason by the Nets, and nobody really jumped on board at that, albeit he was on a huge contract. Yeah, so I um, I, it, I, I'm not sure if he has much of a market as a trade target. Maybe he's bought out. But uh, out of the two of those, I would say DeAndre is more likely. I also wouldn't be surprised if they just cut both because um, – they want to save money with every move they've made seemingly. Uh, and Avery Bradley saves you money and Deandre isn't good anymore. So I could see them getting rid of both, maybe bringing in two guys. Uh, maybe that's why Darren Collison was there. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't really know, but it'll be interesting to see, but ultimately I think the team is trending in the right direction. Clippers loss aside and, Hopefully they're able to just turn a corner in terms of health and able to just stay on the court so we can learn what these Lakers are going to be about and uh, whether this needs to be like that Cavs season where everybody was traded in the middle of the year and they completely reshaped the roster. I don't think we're headed to that, but I'd like to see everybody on the roster healthy together so we know whether we're headed to that or not. Yeah, I mean, leading up, I mean, even with that game, They've won three out of their last five, which is better than their previous five game stretch. And, you know, I, I don't want to predict too far into the future, but uh, I, I can't imagine that their next 10 game stretch, including these five games, will be worse than their uh, previous 10 game stretch. It was you're, rough. You're just trying to jinx everything right now. I mean, you know, I was I was full of optimism going into the season. I'm still having a good time. Uh, but. I'm actually I'm getting butterflies because it is December fifth, and I have Jacob Rude talking about trades on the podcast. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, I I enjoy that day because then the trade deadline doesn't flash red or <laughs> trade machine or excuse me, trade machine doesn't have the big red box or whatever. And it looks a lot prettier when I tweet out tweet out a screenshot, but. Uh, I can do it like maybe once a week or two uh, 
and be fine with it. I always just assume that you're in there nightly concocting some trade to get the Lakers uh, rotation fixed. Opening night, baby. That's when I that's when I first open uh, the trade machine. Uh, that'll do it for this week's show. Lakers got a decent stretch of games coming up. Celtics, Grizzlies, Thunder, and uh, by the next time we talk, the Orlando Magic. They should be able to take care of business. Um, the Celtics that's a loss looked... to the. Th- that's a loss to the Thunder, though. <laughs> yeah, we're talking to. Uh, no, that would man. That I think is a game I would. I don't know. I know Lakers fans will be up in arms about uh, Frank Vogel being fired if the Lakers lose that game again, especially after the Grizzlies Thunder game. That was the only thing I saw in my timeline was I can't believe the Lakers lost to this team. So if they lose again, uh, Lakers fans will be up uh, up in arms. I'd be curious to see the front office's reaction. I don't think he's getting canned. I think it would have happened by now, honestly. Um, but man, I do not want to be online uh, <laughs> if the Lakers lose to the Thunder again. That uh, Grizzlies Thunder game was one of those games where everybody on my timeline was just tweeting like, "Is that score real? Is that score real?" And can't remember. I think I was writing or something, and I wasn't looking up the score. And everybody, all I kept seeing was how wild the score looked. And I'm like, yeah, everybody loves to exaggerate. And then I saw the score, <laughs> and it was a 75 point lead. And I was like, oh my god, what? This is actually insane. And yeah, to think, I I would say, uh, Shea played against us and did not play against the Grizzlies. <laughs> and uh, clearly, he is worth about 75 points. At least, um, at least that is, uh, it's like I, I said on Twitter to any Thunder fans listening to this because they followed Russell Westbrook to the team, it does get better. The, you get through the dark days so long as uh, you sign LeBron James and he convinces your GM to trade literally everyone on your roster for uh, one of his close friends who also happens to be a top 10, 15 player in the league. So if you can do that, I promise you, you'll never lose by 75 points again. Until then, no promises. Uh, I was trying to think of who that player could be for them. Maybe they can convince, they can trade for Zion and convince, I don't even know, an old Kevin Durant to come play with them. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, that's it for us. Thank you for listening again. Uh, hopefully, by the next time we talk, we have good things to talk about. But if not, you know, we'll be here anyway. So we'll see you.